0: From somewhere deep in the cloud and the corners of the earth, this is the Killing It podcast with a focus on helping you make sense and dollars of all things IT
1: with your hosts, Dave Sobel, Ryan Morris, and Carl Polichuk. Welcome everybody to episode 184 of the Killing It... Killing Killing It! podcast. Boy, you guys are right on that time. Wow. I don't have to like, edit that at all. Polish professionals.
0: <laughs> well, I'm going to kick us off, Jens. What will be nostalgic in 50 years?
1: That is an interesting question because, you know, uh, bell bottoms come like in 20 year intervals. and <laughs> You know, all right,
0: I'll kick us off then. driving will be nostalgic. Ooh. The same way that riding a horse is is a nostalgic throwback era kind of thing. Driving in 50 years will be that thing. You'll do it at race courses, you will do it as a fun thing. You will not do it uh, in 50 years, you won't do it on the road.
2: See, I tend to agree with you on the timeline and the the topic. It's a uh, it, that, it stabs me in the in the soul because I enjoy driving. I don't just drive for Function, I drive for fun and I enjoy going fast. That's a, that's a thing in the world, but I agree with you, it's going to happen. I'll take it to a tactical level, not just driving. I believe that commuting will be nostalgic. Like the fact that you had to go to that place to do your job five days a week at a certain prescribed time. It's not just because we are in, you know, prisoner of the moment of remote working right now. I actually think that the evolution of technology and one day when holograms are real, I think that we will get to a point where we, you will do almost everything you need to do wherever you want to do it. And you will look back on those days of, oh, do you remember waiting in line to have an angry guy yell at you that you didn't order your cheesesteak sandwich fast enough?
1: Well, <laughs> along the same lines, for me, I would say the cell phone, actually phones in general that they, they almost play no role today except my local digital computer. Like, I don't know about you guys, I don't use my cell phone to make phone calls. Uh, I, I, I use it to buy things and to, uh, you know, text people and whatever. But it's a, it's a big clunky thing that it will be replaced by something so ubiquitous that uh, we will just have... You know, ambient computing, and we will we will communicate that way. So, are you
2: going Google Glass or the implanted? I ship? I would
1: I would easily say it's something that I can't perceive now because it hasn't been invented, but when it's time for it to be invented, it will be so obvious that it'll be just the the next thing.
0: Oh, I'll I'll throw it out what it is, Ryan. It's it's the Star Trek computer. If you think about the way that the, that they interact with communications and call one another, it's ambient computing, right? It's the, They speak out to the world, the world calls back, and they're able to do it in a way. You know, They're able to make a voice call without a device besides the, the comm badge. But the comm badge was really just an interface to the computer, essentially. So it's the extreme version of that. That's a voice
1: The, call. the Com badge is because we can't conceive of there not being a device. <laughs> right?
0: Right, right, and or there's some way, but but you could you could even see an abstraction where the computer is aware of your location, knows who you are, can recognize your voice, and can just do all the calling.
1: But 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 that's the version might of it. require a chip in the neck, but I'm cool with that. I've said that before.
0: Not a pain in the neck. Right. a chip in the neck
2: again back to, back to themes right dave on the voice as the os or as the ui uh, voice as the ui and carl on the implanted chips and me going back and saying just rewatch minority report they i'm gonna that.
0: get that voice thing right eventually <laughs> 50 years 50 years, <laughs> 50 years i'll be right
1: about but it but if my cat can have a chip i can have a chip I, that's all i'm saying
0: <laughs> well, do you know about NodeWare? NodeWare is an in-demand and real-time cybersecurity solution that helps businesses reduce their risk of ransomware or other cyber attacks, all with breakthrough simplicity and affordability. With truly continuous vulnerability scanning, even during normal business hours, you'll get real-time alerts of network access and newfound risks with easy and insightful reports to take action on and report to your customers. Want
1: to learn more? Visit NodeWare.com partners To find out more, so our first topic today is really interesting because it combines a lot of different technologies and the questions we love about complexity and, uh, you know, ethics. Uh, So, it starts out this guy, I'll just try to summarize this as quickly as possible. This guy takes images from EarthCam, which is a company that puts up, you know, cameras so you can see what's going on at uh, Temple Bar in Dublin or you can see what's going on in, in uh, Times Square. Great. He takes those images and he notices people taking like half an hour to take a selfie. And then he says, hmm, I bet you're those people are posting to Instagram. So then he gets open source uh, facial recognition software and scours through Instagram and finds these people and shows side by side the the video of them getting ready and trying to take this picture and then the final product that actually showed up on Instagram. He claims that it's art. He's, of course, being sued by Earthcam because uh, they own the copyright to the video that he's using. Um, He's violating GDPR uh, left and right. And of course, he didn't ask permission from anybody, including the people on Instagram. So is this the future of art? Is this the future of privacy? Um, it's so easy, and I would just add as a bonus topic: um, if you think that the government can't do this, you are an idiot.
0: What a hobby! Like I, <laughs> like I just like 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 uh, you know, like I'll put it in the art category because that makes it sound like more of a job. But wow, what a hobby! <laughs> so, for me, I actually will say I bet this holds up. As art, as some kind of derivative work. Now, I know this is like we're, if we're throwing out GDPR and such like that, that we're we're dealing with European law, which I'm not nearly as versed on. Uh, you know, and and this is where that all took place. But if I'm looking at it from an American law frame perspective, I would expect that this is art, that it has some level of fair use, that there's derivative uses that are allowed because you are al- there is a space for that and because he's making a commentary on you know society through art and, and exhibiting it that way i suspect that would hold up i'm not familiar enough with european law to say there but i'm going to put that framework on this discussion and go look i do think there is a space for a need for those to, people to comment on the use of technology And its impact on people, which is what he's trying to do, right? He's trying to frame up the, this is what the perfect Instagram version looks like versus this is reality. That's the gist of the art. He is making a comment. And by the way, for those of us on this show, like that's the comment we always are talking about, right? Like the the impact of this stuff. So I think it'll end up playing out as, as a valuable commentary. We'll see.
2: See, I think there is... There, there are layers of evolution here that are being caused by a use case no one actually anticipated, which is usually how we make progress with technology, especially the legal framework around technology. I believe there's a social evolution that's happening in the spirit of privacy or the lack thereof, and you realizing when you go outside, it is perfectly reasonable that you are under surveillance, and you either are okay with that or you don't go outside, right? Like that is something we are grappling with at a social level. I think that there is a, an artistic commentary. I think that there's uh, like you say, Dave, in fair use statutes. There is a there's a groundwork where you can justify what you're using. And it's like being a music critic or a film critic. I don't need a copyright approval to show X number of seconds of your stuff. But I'm particularly emotionally attached to the individual evolution that's happening here, particularly uh, to put a fine point on it, knock it off with standing in front of famous things for 30 minutes to get the perfect picture. As a human who just was very recently in the room at the Louvre where the Mona Lisa is. There was a particular individual that was standing in front at, you know, if you've seen the pictures of it or been there recently, they have ropes and cordons and trying to control the crowd so that everybody can get up close and see and take a picture of the Mona Lisa. And this individual, I swear to God, was there for 15 minutes taking this, oh, my hair, it wasn't right, oh, my hair. I got to say, staging the perfect Instagram selfie, I think that's a rot on our society. Take a picture, (laughs) and whether or not you look good, just do it based on what's real, not
1: based on what's ideal. Well, side note for the record, all of my social media, each picture is staged for approximately one second. Uh, so, and then I and then I'm done because I don't care. I'm professional.
0: I, I do leave space for like if I blink or something like that or make a like total like I may take a second, uh,
1: you know. But some part of me just feels like this is an ick factor, right? Like pff, this guy shouldn't be doing this, right? That's my opinion. And and whether or not there's some commentary on this or that, you can make that commentary without violating people's right to privacy uh you know without getting their permission
0: well but is is standing in a public location i see I you have a you have the right of of privacy
1: but so go back a hundred years and ask the same question you know um, can somebody just take a photograph of you without your permission and use it in any way they want if you're not a public person if you're a politician that's one thing if you're you know, somebody on vacation from Iowa, you just don't expect to be somebody's artwork without your permission. And I think that's reasonable.
0: Well, you put, I don't, I don't know. You put the picture out on the internet for everyone else to see. I think there is a difference between the pictures I took and put and keep on my camera and the pictures that I share with the world To on Instagram, you don't have to put things on Instagram. Everybody like there's just just observe that, right? And so I I don't know, Carl. Like I I hear you, and I want to give space for 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 level of privacy, but they've actively chosen to share that with the world. In a a context, so
2: yes, in a context. But again, kudos to the detective work for being able to stitch all of that stuff together.
1: And kudos to the impressive technology that exists out there. Just saying, exactly, and scary too. (laughs) All right. (laughs)
2: Topic number two, sirs. Um, So again, in the spirit of technology that we rely on, machine translation has gone from just a really cool science fiction concept to very practical applications. Google Translate, et cetera, right? Not to give anybody uh, any, we're, we're not here to talk about any individual technology. As a category, there has been dramatic progress in that space in the last five years. It went from voice recognition problems and accent recognition problems and vocabulary and context and slang and all of these things that the engines couldn't handle to a place where it's reasonably advanced. And yet, right about the minute that you think, hey, that's good enough, let's go use it in the real world, we're going to link to an article in the show notes that talks about some of the very real human implications of when it goes just a little bit wrong, right? Uh, A mistranslation that's not just an awkward word or some, you know, phrasing of, of verbs and nouns and pronouns, but actual context that gets completely misrepresented by one small mistake in the translation engines. A... What I would love to hear from you guys is, uh, do you buy into machine translation? Do you think it's advanced enough that it's a reliable functional resource? And B, uh, what do you think the human implications are if that stuff's not accurate?
0: Well, let me push back a little, Ryan, on what you just said, because, because a little change can be very dramatic. Uh, the example that the article led with was, is a, your child is having a seizure, got translated into the native tongue as your child is dead. Now, I would not qualify that as a minor difference between. One, yeah,
2: one word, massive implication.
0: Massive difference. So for me, I think it's it's about the relative importance of the communication. Uh, if the, it, and it's the consequences of the of a misunderstanding, there are situations where if I'm you know ordering something off a menu, and the translation is not precise and I choose the wrong meal, uh, it may be slightly unpleasant, but it is not necessarily like a you know a life changing problem. Uh, although uh, let's give space for it. if there's allergies and you, now you're concerned about it for that reason now it ratches it up versus this example where it's a very med- where it's medical right you need to, to understand a complex problem, maybe it's not ready for that and 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 that's where it's about applying it to the right situation and that is not necessarily always an informed decision and I think that we need to perhaps uh, teach, educate, convince people that they need to understand the appropriateness of using that. There is a reason why you use human translators in complex negotiations, right? Because you want to make sure that the humans are doing a good job of catching all of the subtleties versus the machine.
1: Well, and I will say that even with the humans, uh, so I had one of my books translated into German and it was a very long, complicated process because I don't speak enough German to be useful. So I had to hire somebody to manage the project and then I had to manage somebody to do the translation and somebody to do the correcting and somebody to be the editor, right? A, it was ridiculously expensive, but B, when it was done, one of my friends from Germany said that he had bought it and read it and told me that it had lost all of the flair and all of the flavor and everything that was Carl about this book. And he said, if this was the first of your books that I ever read, I would never read another one of your books. So, And that's with a lot of money and a lot of effort and a lot of human beings involved. The thing about translations is the more technical they are, the more accurate they can be. right? If you're talking about moving something a quarter of an inch, translate that into centimeters, whatever, uh, standardized units, you're probably going to have pretty good luck. The other example that sticks out to me in this article is the mistranslated Chinese to Korean uh, that resulted in an insult. That resulted in a fight. That resulted in a death. Right. So this is not, you know, unimportant. This is serious stuff. And I think that we also have an English slash U.S. bias in that translating from you know English to German to French is not that difficult, and you're not going to be that far off. Translating to non-European languages notches it up significantly. So. Part of what we want to avoid is watering down the language simply so that it can be translatable by AI. You know, we are already losing a lot of cultures just because of the growth of large cities, which is nobody's fault. But it's just happens to be that languages are dying at a record pace because people move from the country into the city. Now, if we all move to standardized AI translatable, oh my gosh, that'll be a very different world. The, and and again, I can
2: see the use case where this is very, interesting where we can travel to anywhere in the world for any function and seamlessly communicate with each other. I speak my native tongue, you hear your native tongue. Wouldn't that be beautiful? We could all get together. Except, and as you guys have been pointing to, as someone who gets paid to talk for a living, if all I were able to produce is words without emphasis, without intellect, without personality, well I would be a dime a dozen just like every everybody else who can produce words style matters. And that is very, very difficult to translate. Not only that, but meaning and context is kind of the point of language to get people to understand, not just the words that I am saying out of my mouth, but the way I want you to feel about the message that I am delivering. And believe it or not, there's actually a score for this, as it it outlines in the article here, that that in the year 2021, record high accuracy in machine translations where a sampling of communications were able to retain the meaning and context 82.5 percent of the time now congratulations on improving your scores like i would like to give you a gold star for doing better but that's a lot of mistranslation in the world, right? I, I, again, we were recently in Europe. I took four years of French in high school. uh, I do not speak French because public school education. Um, I I wish that I did, and I still strive, but I used the heck out of the visual component of Google Translate to just look at the menu and go, That's not what that actually means. I'm not going to order the word that it said on there, but I got what it was because I knew that I was in a French restaurant, right? I was able to infer the context and that made it okay, but if this is government talking to government, military talking to military, deal negotiator talking to business deal negotiator, you need to get this stuff correct and you need to have humans who can actually do this stuff. We actually have a good family friend whose job, literally, she was born in China and raised there to a certain age, right? To understand the language and the cultural aspects of the language and then relocated to the United States and continued in education there. Her job, quite literally, is to go with businesses to China and just be the ear for both of them and to translate not only the words, but the, like, I saw what he did over there, and I want to give you an understanding of the context of what was just right. said, why it matters. And, and boy, does she get paid well because she <laughs>
0: understands
2: nuance,
0: not just language. Right. For now. Exactly. I want to say, like, we, are, we let off the, the, the show by asking, well, will we be nostalgic in 50 years? Uh, perhaps this because that <laughs> advances pretty fast but i'm gonna move us on and i'm gonna have a little bit of fun and i'm the resident uh complete star wars
1: geek so i thought I'm you were gonna say you're the resident one. fun guy
0: uh no resident star wars geek uh <laughs> so james earl jones has has officially stepped back from his role as darth vader uh at age 91 so uh well well done sir well done um but the important bit is is Part of what he's done now is he's actually signed over the rights for his archival voice work, allowing a a Ukrainian startup named Respeecher to leverage AI technology and recreate the sound of his voice. Now, one of the things that was interesting about this is that they actually did this... During uh, the filming of Obi-Wan Kenobi, the most recent uh, show on Disney Plus, plug, plug, plug for them—they didn't even pay for that one. Uh, <laughs> and, but, but, the, but what was interesting is he actually used it, listening to it, uh, and he. One of the things they had done was also tweak his voice and make it sound a little bit more like when he was younger, and that was the experience that allowed him to sign off on saying. I will be comfortable with the AI taking over for me to continue this iconic role. Uh, This opens up so many interesting ethical questions, uh, including will we need actors for for some things down the road? Uh, Gents, you may not be as many the big Star Wars nerds that I am on this one, but what's your take on uh, James
1: Earl Jones signing away his rights? First of all, he's a total slacker for giving up at 91 that's all I'm saying. <laughs> I
0: know. How dare. How dare. <laughs> but yeah, you so kidding?
1: for me, uh, the first thing that I, that I think of is that this is awesome because when you get somebody whose voice is, in fact, so delightful and so enjoyable, uh, like you want you want it to be a piece of what you do and part of the, your enjoyment for the rest of your life. Right. So this allows that to happen. And we begin to say, well, it. You know there's the the organic version that was produced by a human being with actual larynx and then there's the ai version i think it's very cool and i i would love to go back like i would like to have you know katherine hepburn be the voice of my uh you know siri right like that would i, I would actually use it if katherine hepburn was on the other end of the line you know what i mean so i think that's a great thing that we can look forward to in the future in terms of putting actors out of business, I think there's no chance that that's going to happen. That's sort of like saying, oh, now that we have photography, uh, we're going to put painters and artists out of business. Eh, they just well, they just evolved into other things.
0: I'm going to counter there real quick because I, because I literally was just talking and did an interview about AI with an expert on this. Uh, that shows now on business of tech feed, actually. Uh, so who literally said the use of AI generation for art is likely to put out certain kinds of stock footage artists and general creation, that there is a class of work that will be put out of business by this AI technology. Those artisanal artists, those that create certain experience, yes. But the person who wants to create a certain piece of clip art, that artist will go away because of the the nature of AI. that's only the same
1: argument as, you know, the... That people who just insist that they make a living uh, mining coal are going to be put out of business. No, you you're not going to be put out of business. You're not going to be able to do the very specific job you did before. Now you got to go to some other job with your talents. Exactly,
2: and see. No, I will say to to kind of. To kind of split the hairs here on a legal basis. The artist owns the ultimate decision here I was not okay the very first time an artist that I grew up Loving in the music world sold the rights to their catalog and those things started showing up in car commercials and and perfume Commercials and I was like you you, you sold out and the answer is yeah I chose to do that when I did that because I'm the one who created it so I do believe I believe this is the third category of things that we found that are going to be nostalgic in 50 <laughs> years, you know, driving and language and actors. I I I buy that this will replace a few things. I believe that this will require a new layer of artistic application. Because just because you can make the same sounds that he made does not mean that you have the same kind of presence or the same kind of intonation or the the cadence that he used, which was the essence of his character. Because you couldn't see his face, you saw that image and it could have been anyone or no one behind that mask, but his voice was the character. That doesn't mean that just because you can replicate his sounds that you know how to be the character that he would have been and the way he interpreted things. Case in point, the abomination of the AI or CGI uh, representations of Princess Leia in the Star Wars movie after she had passed away. Um, I get what they were trying to do and again, it's a made up universe. We n- None of these characters actually ever existed, so we, we can't get very, very serious about like, oh, you've, you've abominated it, oh my God. No, the storyteller gets to choose the way they tell the story, but damn, that was terrible what they did on the visuals with her. It was very uncanny and therefore subtracted from the enjoyment. I think... If, if James Earl Jones doesn't have the job of being the artist on The Voice there, maybe the new artist is the person who can take the AI and actually use it well and not just make us go, oh, dude, he would never have done it like that, and now we hate your movie <laughs> because of that. I think there's extra layers. Old jobs go away. New jobs are created.
0: Uh, that is the power of a writer. Now, I I want to I do want to highlight out the one piece that I thought was unique about this was, was that he made the choice. Right. Uh, and manage the rights and I, I am i'm encouraged by the fact that we're seeing artists have some control over their li- their likeness their sound their method and are and are managing that themselves versus it being done without some level of consent i am uncomfortable with the recreations that are done from historical figures without permission that that attempt to fake it versus this usage which is a little bit more done now by the way we've talked a little less about making this stuff relevant to our our listeners today i want to point out the advice and guidance on intellectual property and data governance is the area that i think is of of note the reason these are interesting to talk about is the examples and the the nuance of managing data and control and rights that's where customers need guidance and it's why it's worth exploring these topics because I think that space is going to continue to be more and more valuable.
2: Absolutely, and those sources will come as our very first topic today. Um, those sources will come from unintended places, right? You will be videoed. You will be have pictures taken of you whether or not you knew it. And then the ethical question of can I use your likeness to make you a character in a film? no you can't that there there are layers to this thing and i think we all need to pay attention to to those kinds of legal
1: and technological challenges i think there's a certain cool element in the the possibility that a hundred years from now something absolutely brand new will be created and in a footnote that nobody reads in the credits it's going to say you know voice of Darth Vader, voice of James Earl Jones through AI, blah, blah. blah. I don't even know what it's going to say, but there'll be some snippet that that he existed, which will be part of the creative energy of the universe for you know, hundreds of years to come. I think that's pretty cool to think about.
2: Absolutely true. But now, Dave, now that we've done this topic, and earlier we did a topic about Star Trek... Now the question is: Star Wars or Star Trek? Is it possible to love them both equally?
1: Sadly, yes. we're out of Moving time. <laughs> 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 but we'll we'll come back to this someday. In the meantime, thanks for listening. Please like, subscribe, share, and tell all your friends that you are listening to episode one eighty four of the Killing It. <coughs> podcast. Thanks for tuning in to the Killing It
0: podcast. Please share with your friends and tell everyone to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, and all the podcast places. Join us next week and help us keep killing it in the technology business.